Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. On today's episode of This Is Not Advice, I have Steve Hendershot. You might know Steve. Steve is the producer of this show with me. Steve owns a business called Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studios. Steve is a journalist, a musician, an all-around brilliant human being. I adore him. I'm so grateful that he is the producer of my show. Um, I got so much out of this conversation. Most importantly, the thing I took away was that the journey that we think that we're going to have when we're 22 is not always the journey that we end up having. And if we put rules on ourselves, uh, we might be really eliminating some possibility. So let's just kind of follow what's there and also own what we're choosing. Uh, It's like a weird both and. I think you'll understand what I mean when you listen to what we talk about here with Steve. And one other thing, uh, my brother, Kevin, suggested that I actually, like, I don't know, take questions from people if people wanted to get advice from me. So if that's something that you want, email me, Aaron at AaronConlin.com. Subject, I need advice. And I will probably include that in an intro going forward. Uh, Nobody's ever actually asked me for advice before. So we'll see. Um, finally, I have one open spot in my coaching practice. And if you are interested in becoming a client or you think coaching could take you to the next level of your life and your career and your business or whatever the heck it is, uh, I would love to talk with you and you can book time through my website at erinconlin.com backslash book dash online. All right. Have a great day. Take excellent care of yourself. Um, and enjoy this conversation with the brilliant Steve Hendershot. Steve. Hey, Aaron. So exciting to be part of This Is Not Advice. I mean, you already are. <laughs> I was thinking about being nervous, and then I was like, I can edit out any parts I don't like. I have power. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, we should set some gr- ground rules. You can't edit yourself out to sound <laughs> too good. <laughs> what about like sound effects and stuff? Oh, I mean, whatever. <laughs> so, all right, I'll stipulate that. Let's just let the let the audience know who you are, so that they know why we're having these little caveat <laughs> at the beginning of our conversation. Yes. So, hey, everybody. I am Steve Hendershot. I am writer and can talk about the other stuff that I do outside of this is not advice, but I am also the, uh, I host and produce podcasts, not always at the same time. So in this case, well, Aaron is the producer of this is not advice, but I'm the production support person. So I came up with that intro and outro. And every week I take the interviews and slot them into the, to those things and produce it. So I get to touch every episode of this is not advice. Yeah. You're my producer. (laughs) You're my co-producer. Yeah. Co. I just, I feel like a part of producing is finding the awesome people to interview, et cetera. And so I don't want to like claim that credit from you concept is yours and mm-hmm. all the guests and things like that, but the techie stuff. Well, I mean, to be fair, you and I did come up with a lot of the structure and the bones together as we were like, I called you and I was like, all right, help me out, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that was so fun. Like, so pre first episode, Erin came with the idea to do not just a show. She had, this is not advice, but we got to work together on like what a conversation would look like basically. Yeah. Well, Steve, let's talk about what you're up to. You have 18 million arms of your business and 
I think you have multiple businesses. So let's just talk about you for a little bit. What do you, what do you do? Yeah. So short answer, I'm a writer, also a musician, but then long answer is lots of different types of writers. So magazine journalism, newspapers, I wrote a book, as I mentioned, the the podcast thing. These days I'm working a fair amount in video, but then to your point, the other way to slice it, I've been a journalist for a lot of my life, but then over time, I started doing more things that were journalistic. So writing content marketing pieces in a journalistic style for brands. And eventually after many years, I embraced that somewhat re- reluctantly. And now I have a, a content marketing agency called Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio that does brand storytelling. including. And so this is not advice on behalf of Aaron Conlon Inc. is an example of that. It's not my company name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm curious, Steve, like, how do you relate to yourself outside of the things that you do? How do you relate to yourself? Like, how do I think about the umbrella to fit all that into? Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because I try to think of like, what if I keep backing up 10 more feet at a time to get to a label that encompasses all of it. What is that? And then, you know, I'm a storyteller or something. And then that sounds so something that I'm not, you know, it's a little too precious for me to embrace, but I think that that is what it is. And really since college or before college, I've been, you know, scheming ways to do. That was me trying to change something. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, This is is where Steve's going to be like, minute 354 edit Aaron's noises out (laughs) but I already promised no editing so um where was I scheming yeah yeah the the the, trying to make a living from writing from music that that sort of notion of like yeah my my fulfilling career is going to be doing these things now how do I make it happen because neither of those are a day job necessarily well how'd you start you started in sports writing. Is that if I remember correctly? I did. So I was, you're from Michigan. I am from Michigan. I'm from Michigan too. I grew up, I mean, Michigan has had a great history of sports writers and I'll include, you know, sports talkers like Ernie Harwell in there, but Mitch album, just people like I grew up with this set of writers that I admired. So not only was I a sports fan, but I thought it would be fun to do that. And then, but then, yeah, I guess the, the first like, switchbacks in my career journey was starting to do that. I, I like spent a semester in college or excuse me, a summer internship in college working in TV news in Lansing and realized that maybe the, the doing of it, you know, before you get to be a play by play guy or, or write free ranging columns about and, and books about whatever you want to like Mitch album. There's a lot of just like the grind of day-to-day sports, which I, it turns out I'm, I liked much less than being a fan and even like, so I have this problem, music and sports, where I turn all my hobbies hobbies into jobs. And then that's cool <laughs> in some ways, but they also become jobs in other ways. So like a defining moment, th- there were some things with sports. Like I realized these interviews are bad. They don't ever want to tell you anything. It's every game is essentially the same. So the how did it go today interview gets really repetitive and the athletes and coaches don't necessarily want to open up for you. So it's it's not the sort of deep conversation that maybe you want to get into journalism for. But also I really remember there was a golf tournament that summer and I was there with the TV six guys. And I don't remember if it was Jeremy Sampson or Tim Doty. Hi guys, if you're listening, but one of them, my like baseball hero, Alan Trammell was behind us on the golf course, just walking around as a fan and he, he tripped and, and my guys (laughs) made fun of him. (laughs) I was just like, I can't do this. I cannot be part like I'm, you know, the hero was part, part of making fun of your baseball hero. Yeah, I get that, like some disillusionment is part of the like process of getting into this industry, but it, it cannot extend to making fun of Alan Trammell and not helping him get up. So I'm out. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of true for like anything that we do. We always think of ourselves at the end, and we don't necessarily think of the process of what it means to get there. Yeah, and. They they both matter. Like you you it, it is worthwhile to go after the end states, but you had better like 
the end state. So, or excuse me, the, the like intermediate, the getting there. So, you know, yeah. you're a former lawyer. You might love the idea of being a 72 year old of counsel and, but like you better be ready to grind through law school and all of those associate years. Right. Well, for me, like I actually relate to more of that with comedy. What I didn't love about comedy was needing to be at bars every night. I didn't need, I didn't love that. Like, having to go, go to work during the day, hustle to a bar, spend time there, like having no real sense of health or balance in my life, if that was how I was going to succeed as a comedian. Um, because like on the flip side of it, at the end, you know, when you're a successful comedian, you have your days to yourself. Then you're spending nights in theaters or whatever. That's not that bad. But yeah, I mean, well, and there's another analogy to comedy there with both indie rock and journalism, which is that they're like, they're really competitive. They're fun. They're interesting. Lots of people try to do them. And then there's this danger of like, you sort of make it and discover that you're like a, you know, it's like being on Second City's tour co for 10 years in a row that you've sort of made it. You're a one percenter, you know, like you're making a living doing this and it's but it's also a little bit like for uh, purgatory in the sense that it's not super financially You're not actually great. really doing great at it. Yeah. You, you get stuck. And so, I mean, I feel like that's, that's just where journalism is as an industry and whatever. I mean, I certainly knew that's where indie rock was and that didn't keep me from loving it and pursuing it. But when you're stitching together a bunch of those things and calling that your career, eventually the like realities of it, like you notice them. It's like, Hey, it's working. And in that context of it working, it's not really working. Yeah. I'm successful, except. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Turns out you needed to be in the one-tenth of the 1% to like to make a living. Yeah. Right. Well, so now I guess you're kind of a business owner, huh? Yeah. And yeah, honestly, I've been pretty entrepreneurial the whole time. Um, like I did well enough with music that I never took a staff job in journalism. So I've always, I've been a freelancer for a long time, you know, own little record labels and things like that. But I would also say that Cedar Cathedral is like, I'm thinking of it as a business with like a, you know, long-term, how are we going to grow? What is this about in a, in a different way? And like the shock is that I love it. it you know, it, it should have been the like, someday you can make a boring choice and sell out. I'm sure how I would have thought about a move like this when I was 30, now I'm 45. It turns out it's great. What's great about it? Tell, let, I want to hear more. So part of it, and this goes, goes back to the sports thing. Like I imagined that the pinnacle of journalism would be interviewing famous people or something like mm -hmm. that. And then it turns out that I actually liked telling different stories. I really, for Crane Chicago Business for lots of years, I wrote about tech entrepreneurs. And I, I always loved those conversations. They were just like thoughtful people, pursuing something really ambitious. And I love the, like those stakes that they had sort of crafted these big dreams and they were going for it and they were thoughtful about it and about some problem they were trying to address. And I liked telling those stories, even though they weren't capital. Well, obviously the sports stuff wasn't super meaningful. That was more fun and interesting to me, but then, you know, right now I'm working on a section about homelessness. That's that sort of, that checks that like capital M meaningfulness box but I also have like really learned to enjoy lowercase m meaningful, like helping you create this show that is really fun, hopefully for you and for me yeah. and for, for the people listening to it. So it turns out that I really like helping people do that. And I find that as fulfilling as some of the things that when you're first getting into this career, you think, yeah, that's, that's going to be where the fulfillment comes when I get to talk to person X or publish the big section that addresses some huge civic issue, et cetera. It's kind of funny what I'm hearing and you say, well, it's not funny, but what I'm hearing you say is like our relationship to what we expect our fulfillment to be for, as compared to what actually our experience of fulfillment is, is not the same thing. Right. Which, so I, this is a truth of just both journalist journalism and writing, but like you get in it to be on stage and to talk, but it turns out that the key skill is listening. And that's something that you'd 
not only better be good at, but better embrace as your favorite parts to really be good at it. And this idea that you're bringing up is that from a meta perspective, right? Like if you stick to your original expectation, chances are it will turn out to be broken at some point down the line and you'll notice maybe too late, but the more attentive you are to like, how did I process this project or this type of assignment? Like if you're paying attention to that, you'll notice that things play out differently than you expected and you can change accordingly. So I hear like that you're getting way more satisfaction out of this work than you ever thought that you might. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get here? How did I get to this business or? Yeah. How'd you get to this business? Like what, what led to this meeting of you and me today recording this podcast? Yeah. Well, we already started with like my age 19 internship. So I'll go, you know, back, yeah, back, I'm, back I'm more looking like broad strokes. <laughs> um, so when I first moved to Chicago, I had, I've only had one like non self-employed full-time job ever. Like I got here, worked at Northwestern for four years, started an alumni magazine there, but then over the course, actually I, this is worthwhile because you're a comedian and people that you listen to are comedians. So I like, it was interesting to come here and expect like I'd been, I'd been good at journalism and had some freelance gigs, but then Chicago was so expensive and whatnot that, and I had hard to break into that. I got that job and I did create the magazine in Northwestern, but meantime, it was hard to break into the rest of Chicago journalism. But then very randomly, I was working on an album like, um, and the guy engineering it was an editor for the Tribune. And he's like, these lyrics are good. Is it true? You're also a journalist. Would you like to like write a large feature for the Tribune next week? I mean, it was, it was the sort of break that I had been looking for really? for years and it came about in the strangest way. Yep. So thank you, Lou Carlozo. So I did that for the Tribune. I, I wrote lots of big entertainment packages that were fun. Um, I forget the name of the, the section that they had then. And then this is where it gets to comedy. The Tribune's comedy writer had a stroke, I think. And it was, Lou was like, go for it. We need someone to cover all this stuff. Dive in. So I dove in. I like, I interviewed Sharna Halpern at IO, uh, the second city guys. I took classes at the annoyance while also interviewing everyone there because they were moving into a new building. So they seemed like a good, you know, chance to, to dig in. And then I figured if I had a little like performance side experience, I would just be able to, to understand what was going on a little bit better. But then suddenly there was like a turnover at the Tribune and none of the comedy stuff happened. I mean, like everything I was writing was winding up as like a section head with giant photos. And then all of a sudden one story wound up on like chopped in half and published on page 35D. And I didn't even know it was happening. But so, but all of the, all of the comedy work was suddenly just orphaned. So I chopped it into a, um, real estate story because the annoyance was opening a new physical location and pitched that to cranes and like that 500 word real estate story, like led me to cranes, which has kind of been, I mean, I've worked everywhere in the last years, but cranes has been like a consistent long time home. But then not long after I got there, then I got like a fellow freelancer at, uh, at cranes took a job with a content marketing agency. And it was like, Hey, do you want to write the same kind of stories? But this time the client is, Motorola or whoever it was in those early days. So mm-hmm. that was like the the first step over. And I just kind of did those things as they came in and it grew and grew and grew. But I always just considered it a side project until one day it's like, you're, you know, you're doing your taxes and you're like, oh, this is much larger <laughs> than the thing I think I'm doing. That's wild. All of a sudden, like you have to actually acknowledge by a real measurement what you're spending your time doing. Yeah. And so then it's like, what, what would happen if I leaned into this like just a little bit? And then, you know, along with that, what we were already kind of getting at is the like realization. I don't like this work any less and I don't find it to be any less meaningful. In fact, frequently the opposite. So why not lean into it? Yeah. I, um, it's kind of interesting, like how we think things are going to like this idea of, oh, wait, if you actually just go where your attention goes, what's the value in that? And I can't, that's what I hear in your story. Um, you just started following your attention and following your intuition in it. Which 
just a lot like reporting, really, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you go where, you know, you have to like hone and trust your instincts and then follow the thing that seems interesting. But yeah, that happened. And then I guess the other part of it too is, so I had a, been a broadcast news major back to like the, you know, that TV internship I was talking with, but then I did mostly print for a long time, but then through music and other things, suddenly I had a bunch of microphones. So it was like, let's try a podcast. So my wife and I did a podcast, um, that now forms, I'm, I'm proud of it. It was the original thing called Cedar Cathedral, but it was like a narrative serial style. Not that, not that involved, but we would like drive to places in the Great Lakes, find a great artist or artisan, interview them about whatever they did. And then I would like heavily edit that, do voiceover at a music bed. I mean, like really carefully produce a 20 minute episode telling their story. And we did like 13 of them. And then it was kind of like a, a victim of its like, then when things picked up based on that, I just didn't have like its own 30 hours a week. Yeah, exactly. Like it just was, it was not sustainable. So now when I'm talking to people like you, it's sort of like, make sure that you, if this works, let's figure out a way for it to take the right amount of time to be sustainable, whether that's per episode or if you're going to do something more ambitious, maybe you have a season of six or eight or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's really valuable and I want to put a pin in that. And also I kind of, there's a piece that I'm just, I want to talk about because I'm always fascinated by it. When we, what you pointed to was like how, the Tribune had been relating to comedy, which was as a, as arts, basically Uh, you were in the arts section, you were reporting on the arts and what it actually is, is a business. The annoyance IO second city, they are all massive businesses, multi-million dollar businesses. And when you were able to pitch and acknowledge that uh, it opened some doors for you. Yeah. How'd you see it? How did that like, what, what shifted that for you? I mean, that, that thread was very clear because just because the annoyance is making this big move and it's sort of, you know, those things started, it goes back to even, you can relate this to my own journey of like, when I realized I was running a business, I think a lot of those companies started as artistic ventures in their own founders' minds and they, they grow into something else. But yeah, it was, it was pretty clear to me when I fig- was starting to think about what do I do with this content that now has no home? It's like, well, you know, what are the other angles? Yeah, there's a, there's a nice building in Uptown. That's part of it. That, that's a business story. But then, yeah, then you start to like plug on the details. And it was weird to have like a real estate discussion with Mick Napier, who's a funny guy and a comedy savant, but also is the head of this company and, and cared about the real estate thing getting done right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's part of the thing where like art and commerce are not separate. Right. And what content market, like, well, first of all, what is content marketing? Can you tell people what it is? Cause uh, I don't always know. I think I know, but I don't necessarily always know. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to like our culture doesn't necessarily value journalism, but it does value journalistic <laughs> storytelling. So I think of it as, you know, I guess there are different ways to define content marketing, but at Cedar Cathedral, it tends to be the big asset. So whether it's a magazine or an article that's sort of like of magazine quality or a podcast or a video, but it's that, you know, you're telling a story on behalf of your brand, not necessarily a commercial, probably not a commercial for you, but you're going to hire a reporter to investigate a topic that is of importance to your company or your brand. You know, we may interview someone from your company as part of that to help establish you as a thought leader, but mostly like you just want this piece to a be educational and informative. So the people who read it then understand better and care about this issue that will probably then indirectly, you know, it's relevant to the, the business that you're trying to grow. If it establishes them as being more authoritative empathetic, et cetera. That's great too. But that's the idea to take this kind of storytelling, employ it on subjects that you wish people cared about. And then maybe you own that. It probably lives on your website or something like that. That's content marketing. And so then other things like social media and so forth, they kind of market against the asset that you created or against is a weird word. It's 
an industry word, they market to the asset that you created. So you build the thing and then, you know, you might build a social campaign around getting people to click a link and go see the video or listen to the mm -hmm. podcast or read the article. Gotcha. So it's like the, well, I mean, I guess the biggest example of content marketing is Hemispheres magazine or whatever the in-flight magazine for the airline is that you're flying. For sure. And as, and I, I mean, I write for the magazines of almost every university in Chicagoland, same idea. You know, you've mm -hmm. got this hemispheres is like our, our, our audience is people who are stuck in this plane right now, but they're all travelers by definition. So you can start to segment like, yeah, we're going to promote vacation destinations and do market-based stories. And so when you swing that to an alumni magazine, it's like, we're talking to people who graduated from the school. They care about other people who graduated from the school. And that also serves our interests to highlight that people who have graduated from this institution have gone on to become awesome. So what's important about the work that you do then is also just like identifying who the audience is. Yeah. That, I mean, that's an interesting thing in reporting. Cause like when you're interviewing someone, they become a stakeholder, <laughs> but, I, but your audience is one too. And your editor, you know, I mean, there's, but it's, it can be tricky. And this is true of your podcast too, right? I mean, you, we're talking. So in this mm -hmm. moment, the connection between the two of us is very strong, but I'm not the same as the person who's listening. And technically I don't want you to do this. You can remember this after the episode, you should care about me the most right now, but <laughs> later you should care about them. Well, I mean, I do care about you the most. And thank you. Um, if you were like, for our purposes, what's the story we're telling about your brand? You with them in mind or with me in mind? With you in mind. Well, I mean, so here's where like you're kind of trying to do both at once. So this is so meta. It is, it is so <laughs> there, there is no fourth wall. The fourth wall was knocked down in your bathroom <laughs> renovation. Yeah. Um, it, was blocked, it was knocked down, put up three quarters of the way. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, okay, back to you. <laughs> but like, so you're like, so, you know, you want people to tell the story of their interesting career, but specifically in a way that involves this kind of like reflective, why did you get here? Was there, you know, value and intent behind how you got there? Because that's what the show does. And that's why, you know, like, it's fun to come back and listen to really different people, but all, you know, all of whom have processed some version of that, like, intent crossroads, pivot, iterate, evolve moment. And so that's, this is not advice, but also that person gets to talk about what they're doing and why that's interesting. And uh, yeah. So for me, I guess I've talked a lot about journalism so far, but coaches well, out there, people listening who, you know, who, who, who want that content for them. Yeah. But this is also the story of you. Like, why did, why does this matter? Why go pivot to an agency? Like, Clearly, there's something in it for your vision of who you want to be in the world that is beyond just reacting to what's possible today. Mm -hmm. And the answers to that are several. So, I mean, so one of them for sure is financial. I actually started out, I mean, you don't accidentally go into music and journalism with no, you know, I didn't necessarily understand when I you know, finished my undergrad in 1999 that uh, journalism was about to, you know, contract in a, in a massive way. Mm -hmm. But I also understood that it was not like I was going into investment banking, right? So I was like early on, and you have to have been living in Des Moines, Iowa in 1999 to come to this next sort of, but I was like, whatever you have, whatever you do, your lifestyle has to be such that if you make, you know, that you can always make $50,000 and be okay. If you, you know, if you, if you, if your tastes get richer than that, then you've like messed up the mission because you're going to be more beholden to money and less beholden to purpose. Now that number looks ridiculous in hindsight, but like you get the idea. And well, now I've got $50,000 in 1999 is not the same as $50,000 yeah, today, to be right. fair. Also true. So that plus you moved to Chicago and now I have two kids and all that stuff and it gets different. But so same, and it's also this notion of like, man, I'm really good at my job. I, I believe that without being super arrogant or believing I'm too much of an outlier, but like it shouldn't be hard. Shouldn't be this, this should not be this hard. So 
that that was a little bit. And then, you know, like I said, you start looking at what's actually working and it's like, I have this whole side of my business that's actually the larger side. Everyone's always super happy with how the projects turn out. I, I enjoy them a lot. Like, what if I pursue that with intent and, and find stuff that I like to do a lot, such as podcasting, <laughs> you know, and like, is there a thing there that I could be doing something that I really enjoy while helping people make something that they like? And it turns out the answer is yes. And I'm like, just getting started. I mean, video, I hadn't done like the audio piece. I had really kept up with thanks to music. I let video drop for like 20 years. And I, <laughs> and I got a cinema camera two or three years ago and like, it's not, you know, I, I did go to college for this. I'm a good editor. I am like pretty refined as a storyteller because it all crosses over. But in terms of like being a videographer, I'm getting back into this skill, but pretty quickly it's become a core part of this business because video is a great medium, but it, I also just really like learning, learning new stuff. I mean, that's part of what's been great about clients in very different industries, I've always been a super generalist sort of journalist and turns out, yeah, I, I like challenging myself in ways like that. So that's been a great, like getting into this multimedia stuff and getting out of a comfort zone. I've loved it. Now I realized that doesn't last forever because, you know, then you get expertise and as you do the like challenge factor goes down, but there's always another one, right? Well, that's an interesting way of relating to what, you're up to right like that you'll just get comfortable and then then there's what you're dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think that works for some people like you know you get an expertise and you just you know whatever i feel, I feel like there's some awesome the best stonemason ever achieved that level of virtuosity by doing it over and over for like millions of times and certainly I've done maybe not millions, maybe not thousands, but many hundreds of feature stories and you get that same kind of refinement. But at some point, it's fun to mix it up. Well, I guess the thing I'm curious about for you is you said this thing about your comfort zone that it's been fun to be outside of it. And I'm I'm wondering like how you're actually relating to yourself in your comfort zone or outside of your comfort zone or where you are, where you get to live. Tell me more about that. It just sounds like your comfort zone is a vacation destination that you get to go to two or three times in your life. It's <laughs> <laughs> like how I'm hearing you talk about it. <laughs> well, I really like, I mean, this is the difference between whether your vacation destination is a beach or a mountain that you're, you know, like an inverted face mountain that, mm -hmm. you know, like you vacation in a challenging context, you do that to yourself on purpose. So I do like getting to a place of expertise and I feel like there's skills that I can bring to all the different things, but I actually like having to figure something out. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that like my guess is you probably will spend the rest of your life in moving towards outside of your comfort zone over and over and over again. It just sounds like that's what you've been doing. And you're not acknowledging that that is like how you develop your career. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good observation. And it's also one, like, I guess you can then sort of embrace that. I also think, so to bring back this back to music. So a thing with writing is you do the project and you jump in and try to get your head around the subject matter and then you write the piece and then maybe there's a follow-up piece, but that first piece is just, done when it's done, but, mm -hmm. and recorded music is the same way, but as a song writer, it can be, you know, like you, you finish, I guess the composition, but then like, I do have that experience of like, you know, performing the same song hundreds of times, different crowds, things like that. And it's fun how they are living entities, <laughs> you know, they, they, they morph, they, not only do they get tighter and better, but the, you know, like you'll hit some idea a year in that changes your experience of it and it gets fresh again and things like that. So all that is to say, like, I don't want to embrace the notion that I'm always going to push off into some uncomfortable new frontier as an excuse to not have to like have to do the refining. Cause I think that's important and fun too, in a different way. Well, 
everything is a relationship, right? Your relationship to the thing that you're up to. And I wonder for you if the possibility is in refining your relationship to growth. Tell me how I could and should do that. It's, it's, it's like <laughs> advice. This is not advice. Oh, man. <laughs> How but, can I frame this so that you're trapped and you have to do it? <laughs> but it sounds like I just hit a chord like you want you know, that's a juicy idea to you. What's in, what's intriguing about it? Wait, I've got it. I'm an interviewer too. I can I can come up. So tell me how you approach that idea in your life. Nope. Oh. Right. Yeah. But it, 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 yeah. Seriously though, what's juicy about that? Like the idea of shifting your relationship to to this. So is it to value or growth or like, yeah, tee tee me up again. How you relate to what you're up to. What, and on the one hand, it sounds like you could relate to it like a boring old pattern. On the other hand, you could relate to it like an actual creative process. This is how my business grows. This is how I grow. This is how I add new things so that yeah all right so it's interesting and cedar cathedral is interesting because it doesn't feel like a stop off for three years until i come up with a new creative challenge it may morph and i always expect it's sort of like so writing feature articles and you know text-based content marketing is a big part of that business and that part is familiar but it's still fun to like to do that for these clients. But also there are huge sections of that business that have me more challenged. So I, I think then I relate to that as like, I want a definition of what I'm up to that is broad enough to encompass the challenging thing, but also not be such a reinvention that it ignores things that I have that I'm not only that I'm good at, but like, I've loved my entire life, right? <laughs> and I'm like sick of being a writer. So, well, yeah, I totally get that. I guess it sounds like what I'm hearing is that Cedar Cathedral, what you're up to right now, has a vision. It's just not super, like, it's not a 20 year vision. Right now, it's a two year vision. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, what gives it, or maybe a five-year vision, because I think I can see a version, you know, like it starts out as like, especially, so again, I didn't leave a job to start Cedar Cathedral. I was a freelance journalist who also had a, like a big side content marketing side. So in some ways, this is like a morphing of what I was already up to, but but I did start a company. It is more multimedia. I do partner with more people more often. And so, you know, and more of it is up a level at the like brand strategy part of helping you figure out what your show should be, or, you know, even doing pure branding projects with other companies. So somewhere in there, I just had different, like I never thought of hiring an employee to Steve Hendershot Inc. To your earlier point, there's, that's also not a real company, but you know, you get the idea. But this one feels like, oh yeah, like we could have clients. There could be, you know, maybe I don't have to do everything all the time. My, it's already come up. Like initially I have X amount of competency as a videographer, but if we really want to go for it, I'm going to hire in people that I know. Unfortunately, that's something like <laughs> by working in journalism all these years, I've got like a, a network of photographers, designers, videographers, all that stuff. But suddenly a project was like, there, you know, there's so much writing and a lot of it is kind of like base level website bio type stuff. I might not be the right guy to do that. And it's never occurred to me to have a backup writer to, to go to, but now and it until is. now, and now you're like, wait, wait a second. I have to be the boss about this. Yes, exactly. And, but you know, and I have writer friends, but they're all, you know, in similar stages. They're like, they're not the right move for this. And it's like, I need that. I need 20 something me. Where's that person? It, it probably hanging out at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know where were you when you were twenty something. You're at Shuba's. Yeah, exactly. I was I was at the bar, frustratedly waiting for forty something me to come find me, give me the lifeline. Exactly. Well, 
Let's, let's kind of talk about that. Like, let's talk about obstacles and how you know to get around them or how you have gotten around them. And then also, I kind of want to talk about like what you see for yourself, how that has to shift going forward. Because what you're kind of alluding to right now is how you solve problems before won't work for what you're up to now. Mm. Yep. Which, where should I start? Let's start with how it used to be. So how I used to solve problems. I mean, how how you've gotten around obstacles before when you've gotten stopped, let's say you had a crappy interview that you're just like, this is, I can't do anything with this. (laughs) So interestingly, I mean, kind of passive. Like I I think my drawback has been that I get to, especially, you know, so in those freelance days, I would take the stories that came in. Like I, you know, it took me the X number of years to get a wacky break to get into the business, but then pretty quickly my name was getting passed around and I just never had to out, to reach out to anyone. There were a couple times, like I really wanted to break into Chicago magazine at one point. So I like stretched to make that happen. And then the three editors that I was working for there are all left within a, like a six month period. And that's also, it's kind of a weird like legacy media thing that, you think if I just make it to this platform, the platform will convey some value or authority to me. And so whether it's writing a book or whether it's being having a cover story in Chicago magazine or, you know, huge stories in Cranes, Tribune, et cetera, it's just like none of those institutions are going to even mean anything to my kids. Right. It's like, it goes like you had better have rooted the value in the, the quality of the thing you were doing. Cause I don't mm-hmm. know that the masthead, there's no, no, like that's, that's not really where the, the value comes from. I just tangented us. So I'm going to bring us back. Okay. Um, thanks. Value or the, so obstacles, I would just sort of take those things. And several times, first example being that comedy bit at the Tribune that pushed me to cranes, which ended up opening up like that was a, a pivotal moment in my career. Another one, so I stayed away from sports almost entirely, but then at some point I decided I needed to have a writing outlet that was just fun and low stakes and wasn't serious topic feature writing. So I started blogging about Michigan State football and basketball for, <laughs> to no one, just <laughs> like a WordPress. Like I, I, you know, it's sort of like I've chose that because I didn't want to have to do a bunch of research. So I had to talk about it, but I needed something that I could talk about. So it's like, Oh, I did watch the game. Therefore I can have opinions. So, you know, let's go with it. (laughs) I am at like the, like the armchair expert version of an opinion. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But, but the thing is it was early. It was that moment in blogging that like it worked. And so suddenly I like this other blogger kind of partnered with me and one of the, I forget which, SB nation, maybe when it, one of the big blog networks like absorbed us and other, you know, excited fans were contributing and I like already immediately began losing interest. But then this publisher in Boston was like, will you be the editor of a season preview magazine for basketball that are going to be sold in all the, that's going to be sold in all the grocery stores of Michigan, which was, it did not pay well, partly because it was like immediately, I think they were trying to be like tap into the blogger network. And I was like, Oh great. I'm going to like immediately connect to the beat writer network from all the, you know, Detroit news, Detroit, which is what I did, but then I had to, it it was tough. So I did it the first year and it was great. And it was actually a super rewarding project, even as it paid poorly, but just like all my families in Michigan and they all go to Myers to buy groceries. And it was exciting that this magazine that was like 330 pages of mine, (laughs) of whether I was the writer or not, I like produced that thing or, you know, editor in chief to that thing. So that was exciting. Then I did it again in year two and because it was year two and year one was pretty solid, like suddenly I got to spend quality time with all the coaches, you know, Tom Izzo with his, like his post recruiting voice that I couldn't even hear anymore. I was like, well, Steve, good to, good to talk to you. Tell me about your, you know, your thoughts about X. Was, I mean, that was just him being nice. We'd, we hadn't talked since fourth grade basketball camp at that point, but it was the magazine itself took a huge step forward. It was done. And then the publisher went out of business. Nope. I'm not getting paid. 
my writers aren't getting paid, which again, includes some of the the blogger set, but also a bunch of like colleagues that work at newspapers in Michigan that I had reached out to. And asked for help. And, and asked for help. And, you know, it was already not going to make them rich, but it was something in honor. Of, it was, it was just a bad situation. So, but then that, that was like so bad that it caused me to not be passive. I re- I found places to publish the best stories that people had written for the magazine I had written one big one on like a former Michigan state player and assistant was then the head coach at Northern Illinois, which, so I could actually go there and interview him in person. So that one landed in sportsillustrated.com. And so like, so in other words, that salvage job ended up doing something. So I feel like there are more of those moments in their career, but it's almost like something has to go wrong enough to force me to do that reevaluation thing. And so honestly, so the start of Cedar Cathedral is maybe another one of those moments, just realizing like the, I should be at the peak of my career based, you know, based on like my sense of my age and skill level, like, you know, awards, this best-selling book that came out, like things should be going well. And instead like the, the journalistic side of the shop that I think of as my home, it just keeps like shrinking every year something is wrong, you know, and I've got kids, like I I need to course correct. I feel it. And so it's sort of like, I have to get in that. I'm enough, I'm enough of an optimist that I don't sense a crisis unless it's really obvious, but sometimes it's obvious. And then usually good things come out of that reaction. Well, as a, you know, if I were coaching you, what I hear, what I hear as a coach is just like a, obstacles for you when they're big enough actually create a sense of ownership. Like I didn't own the situation before, but then suddenly I'm like, I need to take charge. This is mine. Yeah. Like it's a very, like when are you reactive and when are you proactive or when do you own your experience of your career as compared to when do you let your career happen to you? Yeah. Obstacles yeah. turn you into a, excuse my language, but fuck this shit, this mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, so then now in Cedar Cathedral era, the challenge is like, how do I get in that mode, not reactively in the face of an obstacle? How do I, how do I stay there and just adopt that? Or, well, or instead of like get in that mode, how do you relate to yourself as that person? Explain that idea. Underlying what I just said is this assertion that that's who you are inherently and that your default, like how you know how to be safe in the world is to hide and be behind the scenes and let everyone else take the stage. Hmm. And my assertion is, that you're actually at your most powerful when you're not hiding. So, all right, this is interesting. It's it, like, let me take that meta back to the career itself. This, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I said earlier that like you learn that listening is the most important part of these two careers where initially you thought I'm, I'm choosing this because I get to go be on stage. Literally, in the case of music, figuratively, in the case of journalism. But then it's like, to tell the story well, to report well, at least, you know, as defined by me. There's obviously, there's different approaches to reporting. This is like what, you know, how, how I've learned to do that and am good at it is to like, sink back, observe, you know, report with an authoritative voice, but I'm still not driving the story. Literally, my job is not to drive the story. It's to tell the story. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if that becomes your life MO, not just your storytelling MO, then things, you know, maybe that goes too far, especially back to, I should be able to assert myself. I love being on stage. That's why I chose these things in the first place. Well, it's just like, it's in that relationship with yourself, right? Like it's never one or the other. We're never all one thing or all one way. And what I just hear is that like this business that you're creating is probably a more authentic version of how you want to be in the world 
as an artist and as a journalist and as a human being. It feels that way so far, even to the point of, so now the business is going really well. I want to make sure that I'm also being artistic and creative in my own voice. So in other Mm -hmm. words, like I think I am more authoritatively able to tell other stories. And obviously when it's a client, it's a different relationship than when I'm just a reporter and my job is to sort of, you know, observe and tell the story, but not drive the story. When Mm -hmm. you are working with a business, you can help, you know, drive the story. There's some like, you can ask different kinds of questions, help them think about how they see themselves and want to project themselves and things like that. So I like doing that, but it, and I think it operates more in the mode that you're talking about, but it's still not me and my own vision. So now the challenge with Cedar Cathedral is to find this mix of like, I think this is working. I want to build this and it does feel authentic and just sort of like resonates on that level. But then I also don't want to stop creating the original thing either, whether that, you know, we can debate whether original has to be like something in the realm of like fiction or song that comes completely up out of me or whether that can still be journalism, storytelling, but at least something that I chose that wasn't client work, et cetera. Well, it's probably evolving too, right? Like this idea of what actually works for you is going to shift and evolve as, as this business evolves. And, you know, as a client of yours, watching you own your business in a more proactive way has been kind of fun to see you be like, yeah, man, this is my shit now. I also really like working in teams and with people. So that can Mm be, so, so, so much of journalism is one-off. And so there are relationships with editors that can last longer, but like the, the main character is in a given project, the project is over and it's done. So at Cedar Cathedral, I like, there are client relationships like that with you, you know, where the, where we're doing this in an ongoing way. There's also like, you know, again, that like collection of photographers, videographers, designers, et cetera, like where you get to to be part of this together. So it's like, I get to own my company, but also work with people in, I like that. I mean, it's always been this weird, I like being in bands, you know, the, like the social dynamic would seem to be at odds with a 20, 20 year freelancer, but. I don't think so. It makes complete sense to me. If you're not, you're not going to be a journalist if you're not, that was weird. You're not going to be a journalist if you're not somewhat interested in other people. (laughs) True. (laughs) Like if you're, only interested in writing, you're going to sit there and, I don't know, be walled in or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it. Mail in my dispatches from the, the wild. Exactly. Um, so let's get into some of my formulaic questions. Uh, what is some terrible advice that you've gotten? Hmm. I have to run that through the filter of not wanting to call out the deliverers of any of that advice. I mean, I can. <laughs> Mom, going to law school. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was my dad. I think, well, well, so some well-meaning and in other situations on point advice for the you know, starting of Cedar Cathedral is just kind of this like, hey, young tentative entrepreneur, you know, go forth and break things even if you don't have your, you know, your sort of site together at, you know, your, your own vision of your company. But I, I feel like for me, and certainly I could have gone faster because I get caught up in client work and I, it, it, something I've really learned in the last year is like, take time to build your own house. Cause it gets important. And if you lose sight of that for too long, you're in trouble. But I also had to like, this is a content marketing business. I need, like, I should make myself a client. You know, I, sh- I should like, yeah. I need to be excelling at the very thing that I'm trying to sell other people, not mailing, mailing it in because I don't have time. And, and fortunately I was immediately in a case where I, it's not like I needed to drum up that other business that was growing anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what's advice that like works for other people and does not work for you? You've got me dead airs eating. This is not advice at this moment. (laughs) 
Well, this is a, it's not an easy question. I don't know. Going back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier that, that, I mean, the balance of challenging myself is important enough. So maybe something around that, like, you know, find the thing, lean into it, thousands Mm -hmm. of reps, et cetera, like that that leads to excellence in some people. And I admire like, look, as a guitar player, virtuosity takes a level of repetition that is worth it. Cause I admire the people who can do it, but I'm never going to become that person. So understanding that like (laughs) there's a value in practice, but since I'm not going to get there, it's just going to be torture to me. It's that, you know, you, I feel like everybody's got that mix of, lean into the thing that like excites and activates you, but also there's a moment to like do the dishes and be self-disciplined. So again, I'm trying to strike the balance, but I think going too far in that direction for me would just be soul crushing and non-productive. 10,000 hours is not advice for you. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or like the, the version of mastery has to be some like super high level version of storytelling that encompasses all of my, journeys around the sphere as opposed to just like practicing that scale. Well, I I just think how you relate to what a story is might be different than how, 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 how other people relate to what a story is. And so like you practice storytelling in a multifaceted way. Um, that's just how I hear it, but yeah, I think that's right. Um, what, how can we support you? How can we like make sure that you get to live into this five, 10, 20 year vision that you do or don't have? <laughs> well, I can only imagine that everyone listening to this podcast should have their own podcast. So there's a fine, <laughs> a fine way. No. Um, is that like the kind of thing you're looking at? Like how to like, you know, links. Yeah, and engagement we kind can, of thing, or we could do that. We could do like what's actually supportive for you. Sometimes people just want to be supported by hearing that they don't suck. <laughs> now, hey, I really I, enjoyed this. Hey, I appreciate when you write this or whatever, what actually supports you? It is weird. And this is partly me not maybe living on social media, partly because I don't want to get, you know, beat up or praised, but like, yeah, again, you choose these jobs because you like to be on stage and then you get to this place where like, there isn't that much, you know, like I, I can do pretty big projects and nobody really offers feedback and that's great in some ways because it gets you off the roller coaster. But I th- I like feedback, especially if it's positive. No one no one needs to hear this and be like, this guy needs constructive criticism type feedback. Although there's mm-hmm. there's a place for that as well, but that's not the intent of this answer. But well, for whatever it's worth, most people that have listened to this podcast love the intro that you created for me. Thank you. I think very it's much. great. I love I like so there. I also don't love going back to process my own work again. Like speak, speaking of doing the dishes, I feel like, and I think you, you might, you said something like this with the I show. It. I, won't yeah. li- I, don't, I don't listen to these episodes. <laughs> so I make myself go back sometimes, but it's like pulling teeth, you know, like I've got to go back into that painful moment to figure out how I can do better next time. Um, but by virtue of putting your episodes together, I go back to, and listen to that intro and I'm, it always makes me happy. The music makes me happy. That was fun to do, you know, take chopping up your, uh, your, this is not advice. Riff was just fun. And I always like it. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What does success look like for you? So I feel like I'm redefining that. You know, we talked earlier, I had a version, I had like rules that I made for myself <laughs> early in my career and I am modifying it based on what I am finding meaningful. But I was I like, so I'm being intentional at this point about evaluating everything that comes in for like, is it lucrative? Is it fun? Is it meaningful? And I think something like, I'm never going to be the guy who's like, I have a financial target It's the definition of success for me but i have embraced that there is some floor or minimum standard there that like necessary for my family and also suddenly i'm running a multimedia business that involves cameras and microphones and stuff and like there's there's more of that but that's never going to be the definition so i think the rest of it is like being conscious of that mix of things that seem like 
fulfilling to me, you know, meaningful to the world, fun to do, give me chances to work with people that I love working with. They're, you know, either friends or, you know, an, an editor that I feel like always challenges me in good ways and, and the story is better than the draft I turned in, you know, that kind of thing. Like those opportunities, I kind of know what those are and I'm trying to steer that way. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add before we say thank you and send you on your way? No, it's been really fun. And, and meta I'm, I'm terrible at being interviewed cause I interview people and. I mean, you really tried to flip the script on me there for a second. But I feel like. <laughs> I got to be the boss for you. <laughs> if you were giving advice to someone in a similar situation, what would that be? Yeah. Steve, come when, on. When you feel exactly like you hear me saying that I'm feeling, what's the advice you give yourself? <laughs> uh, thank you so much for doing this show. Thank you for being my producer and for making, I don't know how many episodes, but, uh, They've all been really great and I've gotten really great feedback on them and the people who don't like it, don't tell me. So <laughs> ideal setup and you're right. They have been great, which is all you. So congrats on the bathrooms being done and I'm excited for season two. Me too. Have a great one. Take care. Take care. You too. Bye. This is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio. 